0: All right, cybersecurity is always a concern for businesses as well as individuals. Hackers, scams, phishing, ransomware, and more can have a significant impact on your business and even your home personal computing. Attacks can be devastating and cause a disaster. They result in your identity being stolen, intellectual property being stolen, data stolen, and more. In severe cases, private information may be released to the public and have a significant impact on your finances or other things. There have been numerous scams, hacks, etc. related to coronavirus. So it's important to be aware of the cybersecurity issues that are going on today. Today we talk with INA's Joe Henderson about these issues. All right. Today, I'm on with Joe Henderson from INA. Joe, if you could give us a little bit about your background here at INA, I'm sure the audience would love to hear it.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Joe Henderson. I've been working at Information Network Associates since uh, early 2007, I believe. So uh, my my role there is systems, systems administrator. I handle day-to-day tasks as far as IT security and any kind of information technology, servers, end users, workstations, all all that good stuff. So that's my primary role. I had previously also been part of the digital forensics department at INA earlier in my career at INA, but then switched over to IT and IT security.
0: So Joe, what are some common types of cybersecurity breaches, you know, that you see or some of the things you've experienced on some of your cybersecurity work? Sure.
1: Yeah, a lot a lot of the things that we're seeing as far as breaches or just kind of issues in general for cybersecurity would be phishing and spear phishing, mainly a lot of a lot of email scams that are coming in to our clients just going over Hey, you can get this, this, these products as far as like the coronavirus, the COVID masks and thermometers and anything related to that, that scammers are essentially trying to sell or, or rather, uh, you know, get some information out of you in order to send you some more stuff. But also we're seeing some like small business loans, scams come in as well, actually quite a few of those where they're looking to get payment from businesses in order to, you know, provide a service and uh fill out those forms for you for that business, which in in most cases doesn't doesn't actually require any kind of payment, but we're seeing a lot of that. Some man in the middle attacks as far as users going uh, trying to get to a certain website or trying to reach out a specific vendor. Through a web browser and then uh, being redirected, or just you know issues along along those lines, and then your kind of your general malware attacks, as far as like macro viruses, where you have a, a Word document or Excel sheet or a PDF something come in via email, and uh, you know once you open up that uh, document as a user, it'll either direct you to a website or it'll start running a script or attempt to immediately, and then again more along your your common malware attacks with any kind of ransomware coming in through like an attachment that kind of thing and then zero-day exploits uh, as we normally see with Microsoft Windows and other operating systems for our clients trying to keep up to date with patching and everything like that but you know there's always going to be issues where bugs are going to be in the code somewhere and just kind of working around that what is phishing and how do you protect yourself against this Sure. So phishing, it's, it's fraudulent email, basically Uh, emails that come into your organization, to a user, they may be, you know, trying to sell something to you. Again, in this case, more recently, we're seeing a lot of coronavirus related pitches as far as, you know, thermometers, masks, business loans, you know, get, get, get the loans. We'll send us the money and we'll uh, fill out the paperwork for you, that kind of thing. So phishing is more of a bulk uh, attempt at getting a, a, a lot of victims all at once. And they're really looking for inf- sensitive information from those users. So like usernames, passwords, credit card information, you know, whatever they can get really. The, f- the phishing does not, it's not really targeted. Um, in most cases, it's, it's really just spray and pray, just as, get as many emails out as possible and see who, uh,
0: who bites. So what's the difference between phishing and spear phishing? Is, is there a difference in, you know, what, what, yeah. you, what can you do to protect yourself from both of those?
1: Absolutely. So they're similar in that they are fraudulent emails. Uh, the spear phishing is specifically targeted, directed at an individual or a department of an organization typically. So usually we're seeing executives or personnel within the uh, organization that may have direct access or closer access to executives or company funds, so you know you have your HR, your finance departments, the heads, the heads of those departments, or just someone within there. And again, it's the, it's, an, it's still an attempt to extract that sensitive information. It's just that it may be more specific to that user. So it could include things like that user's specific name, um, some information about that user, or about just general information about the company. More specifically, what we've been seeing is emails coming in purporting to be from an executive to uh, a member of the finance department. Hey, I'm in a meeting. Um, I can't really talk right now, uh, which is why I'm sending this email. Can you buy these gift cards? I got to send it to a client today. Without much more information, and there's a real sense of urgency in these emails. You know, they're, they're if you're if you're looking at the email headers, if you're looking at the the from address, you know, you can see that it's not actually from those executives. But the the point is to make it seem urgent enough that if you don't do this, and, and I'm busy right now, you're going to lose your job, or there's going to be some kind of uh, you know action taken against you. That's that's kind of the sense that we're seeing in these emails.
0: So you said if you look at the email, you can see it's not from the executive. Well, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So a lot of times, um, you know, users will see the body, of the, they'll see the from address, who it's to, any CC, any other, anyone else on the email, and then the body. If you look at the header information though, so that would be like the from address, the to, the CC, all that stuff, you can actually see. So for example, it may be from executive's name and then in brackets, it, it, it typically it's going to have the email address as well, so anybody can have I could use your name on an email address, but the actual email address itself would be would not be your email address right so th- those are things that uh, you know users are typically overlook, and unfortunately uh, it's something that you know one, one of the easier ways to to see through these scams is to just look at uh, take a look at the the firm address. A lot of companies will implement uh, a system where they actually tag emails from external clients. So if normally, if an executive were to email you, you know, within your own company, there may not be any kind of tag on it to indicate, you know, this is an external user, beware. But if it is from an external user, it may have that tag. It may be somewhere in the email, the top or the bottom. So a lot of times businesses will use kind of systems along those lines to assist a, an end user with uh, identifying those kind of scams.
0: So we hear a lot about ransomware. What is that exactly, and how do you protect against it? So ransomware—it's—it's malware. It's designed to
1: encrypt victims' data. It's going to have a ransom along with that. So, typically, what would happen is someone would get infected with ransomware. I can go over the kind of the attack vectors here in a second, but point of it is to encrypt. All the data on the system. In in a lot of cases, the system itself will still work in a very hindered state. So you may still be able to boot into Windows or Mac OS or whatever your system may be. Um, But you really can't do too much. And you may immediately get a pop up or there may be a a new file on your desktop that is a a ransom note, essentially. And it will go through this is what happened. We logged all your files. You know, you're, you're a victim of ransomware at this point. And send, if you want to unlock your files, if you ever want to see your files again, send money to this to this Bitcoin wallet or something along those lines. So a lot of times it's specifically for the, the locking and then requesting the payment. Recently, within the last year or so, it's really been ramping up where you have ransomware strains, not only locking users' uh, information, encrypting everything so they can't access it, But then also threatening within the letter, within the ransom note to say, we will release the sensitive data, your passwords, um, your banking information, whatever that we found on your system before we did the encryption. We will release this information if you do not pay us. So not only now are they locking the machines and locking the the files, encrypting the files, they're also threatening to release information from those users. So it's even more of an urgency for people to pay is what they're trying to get at here.
0: So Joe, um, how do you detect an intrusion or what are some signs of intrusion that as a business you might need to be aware of? Yeah. So um, there are, th- there's a lot
1: actually, but uh, just kind of the, the, the high level ones here. There are a lot of the attack factors. I mean, if we're, if we're speaking about ransomware, just going over that, um, it could be compromised websites, malvertising, infected downloads, that kind of thing. There, there's a lot of, end user involvement along with the backend. So if a user downloads, if they go to a shady website or if they're trying to get to a website and they're not sure if it's legit or not, they may end up Purposely or accidentally downloading a file that they think is legitimate, and in the same sense, if they go to a compromised website and there are malicious advertisements, those are going to load on the page. Th- those are the kind of things that you know we need to look out for. Um, typically, antivirus and anti-malware systems on the workstation or on on the network somewhere are going to help with that, but it's not always the case. But that also goes along with like software patching, as far as things like you know, if you, you're running Adobe Flash or Java or even but the main the main ones now uh, are you know web browsers keeping your web browser up to date because really that's your portal to the internet that's what people are using the majority of the time that they're you know at, at work uh, for the most part yeah so some of the detections monitoring systems and, and detection systems in place by organizations it de- it depends on how organizations have that set up. It may not be. Something that's in, probably not in place in, in most small businesses, uh, at least not to the extent that it, that it needs to be in a lot of cases. But there are ways to go about doing that. It just kind of depends on what fits for your organization, how much money do, do the, uh, does the executive team want to put into it. Um, there are a lot of decisions made around, around those systems.
0: So is it similar kind of things, too, with your home personal computing, things that you might see, like those little ads popping up that you, you you don't expect? Is it the same kind of thing that you would see as well on the home computing side if you're just working at your home? Yeah, for... For a for a
1: company, I mean, typically you're going to have a lot more. You can have a lot better systems in place. You can have you know monitoring detect, detection systems that are much more robust, that are enterprise level or at least business you know uh, specific, so that they're monitoring a lot of information at, at once. For for a home user, um, it, it can be similar as far as the things that that might look shady uh, on their end, you know, unavailable services. So you know if they're working from home. And they can't connect to certain files, uh, to like to like the company file server or email system or something like that. It could be that you know the the VPN is down or the remote services aren't working correctly, or that server is offline or something like that. But it, it you know it it makes it makes sense for a user to kind of keep keep their eyes open for that kind of thing because it could potentially be something more malicious. Not not in every case, but certainly uh, something just to, to keep an eye on. Extended periods of like high resource utilization, so if you're, if your CPU or your, your disk is just going crazy on your on your local machine and you 're not really doing anything, you know it could be the zoom meeting that you 're on or it could be you know something more malicious where in the case of ransomware, like we were talking about. That is going to do a lot of read and writes to your your drive because it's encrypting all those files. So you know, just knowing a baseline for you know, if you if you're a user, knowing a baseline for your system, how is my system normally acting? Is it is it is the fan spinning up all the time, or does it only do that when I'm actually you know have a lot of Chrome tabs open or Firefox tabs or whatever? Have any understanding of like how your system uh, should should be as opposed to uh, when it might be you know, not working as, as intended. Slow internet connection could be a sign uh, of something uh, more malicious, but again, a lot of it comes down to knowing your network, knowing your system. It could be that you just have a slow internet connection. You don't, you're not offered, you know, uh, very good speeds at your house or wherever you're working from. So just getting an, having an idea of like, what, what is the baseline and what is, uh, different about it at this point. And then uh, the last thing I would say for home users would be, if you're seeing a little web browser redirection, so if you're trying to go to a website and uh, you're being redirected to another website, that in a lot of cases could be adware or some type of spyware or malware on your system. And hopefully your company has something in place on that machine to uh, prevent that in the first place. But if not, uh, you know it may it may get through and uh,
0: start redirecting you. So So those are a few things to look out for. How do you get rid of this stuff once it gets on your computer
1: well, I would say if it's if it's a company computer uh, alerting i t alerting your either your i t staff or your i t vendor or whoever you you would normally alert with any kind of i t issue but you know the, as far as remediation they the i t staff should be taking care of that or at least have something uh, have a way to walk that user through. This is what we need you to do. And in some cases, it could be done remotely, hopefully, so that, that user does not need to come in, into the office to get that done. They may need to be issued a new computer. Some organizations will have a very quick way to uh, issue machines. So if there is an issue like that, any kind of uh, malware or adware, um, they can just swap out a machine with a different machine. So here's a new laptop. We'll, we'll take care of the old one. All of your All your files have been moved over. So, yeah, I, I would just say um, uh, reach out to your IT staff. If it's a personal machine and you're having these issues, definitely make sure you have antivirus, anti-malware installed in your system. There are a lot of free ones out there. Not not all are great, but something in most cases is better is better than nothing. There are paid versions as well, a lot of the stuff. One of the things that – and I'm not promoting this as a uh, – uh, you know, paid pay promotion or anything, but uh, Sophos is free uh, for home users. You can actually install it. I think it's up to five devices for free. The trade-off is they they get to use your, the data that they find as far as malware and whatnot um, for their paid commercial product. So really, you're just kind of uh, helping them make their other products better, and in return, they're giving you the uh, the protection for free. So who's conducting these attacks? Yeah, in a lot of cases, um, you know, as far as like the ransomware and um, uh, other attacks of that nature, it is groups that w- have not been identified. I mean, they have their their names that uh, that they go by when they're actually sending out the threats or sending out the ransom. You should know that this was done by this group or whatever for a little bit of fame uh, on their end. Um, but as far as far as do we know who they are, um, unless that group is taken down or, you know, busted by a local law enforcement agency, we're not we're not entirely sure.
0: So there's lots of reports coming out about hackers targeting healthcare and research related to the coronavirus. Why would they do that during this time? You know, why would they choose those targets? Do you have any inclination as to uh, what the what what the method, why they would do that? That's a, that's a great question. They,
1: it's, it's sad to see, but uh, you know, people are just, they're going to continue doing what they've, they've always done. You know, if, if, uh, if they've been a crook uh, before this, they're just going to continue to do so. Um, and there's actually been quite a bit of conversation about, you know, requests to these groups from the, the public and the general public to say, Hey, can you kind of lay off hospitals and healthcare right now? Cause we're all in this together, right? That, that seemed to be working for about 24 hours, and then that uh, that kind of fell off. So they're back at it. So as far as why they're targeting healthcare and hospitals, it's highly sensitive information. You know, you have a lot of uh, medical records and whatnot that you wouldn't want. You know, someone would not want released. Certainly, the companies don't want that information released. The hospitals, the healthcare w- workers don't want that released, and the the patients don't want that information released. So it's highly sensitive information. There's an urgency to restore systems if they go down. So if they get, if hospitals or similar healthcare facilities get hit with ransomware or any kind of malware and everything's, all their files are locked, their systems are down, it's literally life or death. So if you can't get the systems working because everything's tied into a server, you know, at the hospital, you know, you're, you're going to potentially lose patients or at the very least, um, you know, be delayed in providing care to those patients. So there's a real urgency to get everything restored as opposed to let's say a home user. Oh, I lost uh, a couple pictures here and there, but I have them, I have them uh, on another machine or they weren't really that important anyway, whatever. There's, there's much more of an urgency with, with the, with the healthcare on top of that you have outdated and hard to patch systems so in healthcare specifically that's that's one industry where you know you have systems that you can't really take offline because it is keeping someone alive or it is providing care to a patient so in a lot of cases patching software patching or firmware updates any kind of security updates may not be applied in a very uh, timely manner just because you can't take it offline as easily as easily as you could you're kind of your more run of the mill business server uh, that kind of thing and then of course healthcare uh, the, the industry and, and hospitals they have money you know and they want to be uh, up and running as soon as possible if they if they, anything goes uh, goes offline so with all those things combined you really have a, a, a great target uh, unfortunately for for these uh, for these
0: groups. So there's lots of reports coming out about, hack, or about um, various different me- methods or hacks during the uh, coronavirus. Are there any specific methods, programs, bots, other things that we're seeing due to the coronavirus here that were less prevalent beforehand? Well, again, going back to like the phishing and the scam emails, that has become
1: uh, more prevalent and it's kind of changed. I mean, you're always going to have that, but it's changed the content uh, of those emails, of those scams to be more in line with the current uh uh, pandemic as far as here are some thermometers. Once you go to this website and go here and buy these masks and here are some um, uh, business loans that we can help you with and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and in a lot of cases, I'm not saying that you everyone's selling thermometers and masks and, you know, trying to get you to sign up for business loans are illegitimate. But a, a lot of times what we're seeing now is that these emails coming through these scams are relating to those to those topics. Not only that as far as the other issues that we're seeing a lot of people have moved more towards a you know remote collaborative platforms like Microsoft Office 365 or uh, Google G Suite. You know, there, there's there's always going to be bugs. There's going to be issues with those services in some way that that someone can exploit, right? Um, so what we, we've we seen um, in the past few months have been issues where these groups have targeted Office 365 or they've targeted OneDrive where, you know, people may be sharing files through, through those systems and that has become, you know, kind of the goldmine. And it kind of was before, but now with everybody uh, working from home and more reliance on these services, you're seeing more of that as well.
0: So it kind of goes to the next question, the risks associated with telework, you know, what are they? What are things people should be aware of? So with telework, uh,
1: it, it, you have unpatched systems would would be prob- probably one of, the, one of the biggest ones where employees have, have not really been assigned to work from home previously have suddenly been thrust into okay, take anything you need from the office uh, that you, you know for your daily tasks and you, you got to set it up at home a work from home uh, situation. And some businesses, especially smaller businesses, may not have the ability to patch these systems outside of their network because they didn't figure it was necessary to set it up before. Uh, Maybe previously you only had somebody out for a day or two, you know, working from home once a week or something like that. And then the next day that they were in, their machine would get updated. So really the window was much smaller and in a lot of cases it may not have been as big of an issue, um, to, to wait, uh, that amount of time to patch a system, to, to patch an end user's, uh, laptop or whatever. Um, uh, but in this case you're having, you know, potentially months on end where someone does not go into the office, that system isn't set up for that. So software patches, even like Microsoft, uh, windows patches, updates, uh, may not be, uh, applied in a timely manner at this point, employees using personal devices for work-related tasks. So if someone has issued a laptop to take home, they may, you know, not enjoy using it as much as maybe they have a nicer system at home or something like that. Multiple monitors, whatever, and they want to want to use that for accessing maybe some of the uh, the websites, the web services that they would normally access via their uh, their, their company machine. So one of the issues there is you're, you're potentially putting company data onto a a personal device, which you know your IT staff would have no control over. A device that is that hasn't been uh, onboarded into your network in any way. It's a it's a personal machine on on a network that you're not, that you're not even familiar with. It's a home network, so that's another issue with the company data uh, being put on the, on the on those machines, data not being synced or backed up. So you may have employee uh, machines where they're working locally. Maybe they're not connecting to the VPN because they don't need to for whatever you know Word document or spreadsheet they're putting together, and uh, it may not be backed up in, in the same manner as it was it had they been in the office right and, and a lot of cases it's it, what we're seeing is some a lot of the systems the backup systems the patching systems and everything are not configured for for the full-time work from home uh this user never comes into the office so there's a lot of struggle with really uh, kind of changing up those systems so that they are working over a VPN or are working over uh, whatever remote service that company has set up. IT has fewer control over the employee's home network, You know, wireless security, other devices on the network. Um, they may have kids, they may have other family relatives living with them. Your, your IT staff, your IT vendor has not vetted any of those devices. They don't know uh, how your home network is set up. And in, in some cases, there are ways to Provide an employee with something to take home as far as a device that lets them connect directly to their uh, to the VPN or the remote service, but then that's going to cost additional uh, additional funds are required for that and everything so with the with the with the urgency of everything and kind of the last minute you know scramble to get everybody up and running from home that that doesn't seem to have been uh, taken into account as much
0: businesses that are closed due to coronavirus is there any risk to their computer system? I imagine they would probably turn them off or other things, but could there be any risks associated with a, you know, a small business that may have a a system that's not as robust as uh, something that a large corporation might have. Do they have some risks associated with not being, Accessing that system on a regular basis.
1: I mean, as far as I would say, the IT staff would really have the big issue there because they may not be able to, you know, move forward with with some of the maintenance or the critical upgrades that you know they have been planning on doing or have been doing on a regular basis, as far as the maintenance is concerned. So it could be a situation where. They need to physically access a, uh, a user's machine or something along those lines in order to do, the, to do that maintenance or to do those upgrades, uh, whether it be hardware or software. And with everyone working from home, that, those projects are being delayed or uh, to be determined uh, as far as when, when is this uh, you know, going to go back to normal. So uh, as far as planning for that kind of thing, that, that's certainly been disrupted. And then um, the other th- the, the other big one would be backups being missed. So if, if it isn't something where a company had a robust backup or sync uh, system in place for uh, end users machines, so anything on their desktop, their documents, their, down- their downloads or whatever, whatever the critical information is uh, for that business, you know, that, that may not have been put in
0: place prior to, to the scramble of getting everyone uh, working from home some practical tips they can use to protect their systems, you know, businesses and home, personal computing, other things that uh, you could think of that would help a company or an individual, just some real common sense stuff that they could do.
1: I would definitely recommend reviewing for businesses to review the remote access services with their IT staff or their IT vendor. One of the things we want to do is to determine, you know, are there any upgrades uh, that are needed or or changes to the configuration as far as security, any kind of bandwidth restrictions that would normally have been in place? Because again, if you you did not have that many VPN users or remote access users previously, companies may have had restrictions in place that are now hindering work from home. And then again, for businesses reviewing, uh, you know, network firewall configurations and logs, for, for intrusion attempts and that's that something that the IT staff should be should be doing but at, at least making sure that the executives are aware of what's going on and you know any of those changes that may have been made and then for, for home users you know reviewing your wireless router or uh, whatever router you have at home or mesh it might be a wireless mesh system you know for providing internet access to, to your to your home. Reviewing the configuration for that, a lot of people just kind of set it and forget it as far as the router is concerned. They never really touch it unless uh, they need to pull the plug to and, and plug it back in to reset it or something. One of the the issues that we're, we're seeing for, for home users is that, you know, if you don't update the firmware, if you don't check the configuration, because out of the box, uh, it may be pretty insecure. Well, you definitely could run into some issues there as far as uh, any kind of uh, exploits uh, targeting your router, and a lot of a lot of these exploits are automated. So it's not; it, it can be it can be trivial for someone to uh, to access an in- insecure router, depending on the model and the version and all, all that stuff. And then the other thing I would uh, I would suggest for users is to consider implementing like a guest wireless network if your wireless router allows it, just so you can isolate maybe your your company machine, your company laptop to its own network and then other devices on your network to, to a guest network or vice versa, or h- however they want to go about doing that. But essentially the, the point is to isolate it so that, you know, your, your, la- your company laptop does not need to talk to your TV or does not need to talk to other family members, phones on your network, that kind of thing. So if you're isolating that device, you're, you're lessening the, the attack vector. So there's, there's less uh, that can really be uh, exploited
0: from your machine as
1: far as the, the attack surface.
0: Great, Joe. Really appreciate you coming on today just to talk about these, these issues. And I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. Uh, for the audience out there, just remember INA is a Harrisburg-based risk, intelligence, and investigative company. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to contact us about anything about the podcast, or if you need some work done in that field, contact us at info at ina-inc.com. Again, thank you for listening to the INA Podcast Impact, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.